But it's good, good to be here uh, with you and to share the word with you. Um, Brad's been walking us through First uh, Timothy, so if you would, First Timothy, um, in the New Testament, towards the back of the New Testament, it's a letter of Paul. If you would turn to First Timothy, Brad just started last week into chapter six. So First Timothy chapter six. I want you to look down at the very last verse, verse twenty-one. 1 Timothy 6, verse 21b, grace be with you. This is God's sure word. Now, maybe you're thinking, oh, this is going to be the shortest sermon ever. (laughs) Um, I want us to see through this lens. Listen, Brad's going to come back. He's going to finish up chapter 6. He wasn't ditching the whole thing about, you know, conviction and riches and all that. He's going to preach on that. Um, but grace be with you. You know, sometimes you might uh, go hiking on a, uh, maybe, maybe a six or seven mile loop trail, okay, and, um, and, and you're hiking on the trail, you're walking on the loop, and, and you see a little sign, there's a trail off to the side, and, and it says, scenic overlook, 0.1 miles, you know, no harm, no foul, I'll take the little spur trail and go see the scenic overlook. What we typically do, if you're visiting or newer, with the chapel is we, we preach through entire books from beginning to end so that you really get a context, a sense of what the Lord's saying to that people in that place at that time. We can bring it into our own context, expository preaching, right? What we're doing today, that's, that's, the, that's the loop trail, okay? We're, we're taking the scenic overlook today. And the scenic overlook is benediction. What is a benediction? What is the benediction? Again, if, if you're newer, newer, or visiting, um, you may have noticed something. That word is central. God's word is central to everything we do here. We opened with the word. You, you, had, you read, the, the word was read. We pray. We, we preach the word. And then, at the very end, we close with the word. That closing word is, the term for it is, a benediction. Uh, but there's more to it than just that. My hope is that we would see that the gospel It's bound up in the benediction. Grace be with you. What a word. It's not a dismissal. Maybe you're thinking, what does benediction mean? Time to go? Time for lunch? No, it's not a dismissal. It's actually an invitation. It's an invitation into the work of God in his world. And it's not an ending. It's ascending. Ascending out in the power of God, out for the kingdom of God. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace to us, for being with us in your grace and by your spirit for your word. Lord, give us hearts to receive your good word this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How much thought do you give to when you take your leave of someone? to your leave-taking. Maybe, maybe it's in, um, in, in writing, you know, back when we used to write letters. You know, how did you sign off? Or like in an email. I know emails are so informal. You know, do you sign off? Do you have a sign-off? Uh, or even texts, you know? Is it, you know, see you later, hey, thanks. Um, Francis, every time my wife texts me, she closes with, until I see your radiant face. Like every text, it's amazing. Um, 
No, when I uh, first, uh, I came to faith in Jesus when I was uh, in my early 20s. I remember reading through scripture and I latched on to John 16, 12. John 16, 12. So I literally would write letters to people and I'd just put John 16, 12, Gardner. And it made the person look it up. John 16, 12, which says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And I just, you know, thought was just the, the funniest thing. So what about, how do you take your leave of people? How do you take your leave of people when you're present with them? How do you take your leave from someone's presence? Um, last weekend, 9-11, if, if you've ever seen any 9-11 documentaries, things about 9-11, you, you, you understand the weight of people's last words. There are people who have kept those, the recording messages of their loved ones, as they called in. What were they, their final words? In fact, it was not long ago that I, I really started thinking about my leave-taking of people. Just over five years ago, I, I on a lark, swung by uh, my hometown to land, saw my mom, my dad, had lunch with them, spent an extended time with them. Uh, they prayed for me. We said our goodbyes, not realizing that within 24 hours, my dad would be killed in an accident. I cling to those last words of his to me. And then just over a month ago, one of my best friends suddenly passes away. You know, I'm looking through my phone. What were our final texts to one another? Do I still have a voice message of his? What did we say? Those, those parting words, those parting shots, those, those leave-takings are so important. But in Scripture, we see benedictions, and, and they're not so bound up in death as they are with life. What is a, what is a benediction? Okay, very simply... Benediction is Latin for good word. It's a good word. And they are endings. You'll see them in New Testament letters. You'll see them in most of Paul's letters. At the very end, he ends with a benediction, with a good word. The other, some of the other New Testament authors as well, they'll, they'll end with a benediction, a good word. But they're not just endings. They're also beginnings. Can you think of when the first benediction may have been pronounced? Right at the beginning of all things. You can turn back to Genesis 1, and there you will see benediction. God spoke everything into creation, okay? First his word, so he's speaking everything into creation. But then, in Genesis 1, six times we see God's, what does he think about his creation? And he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. And then a seventh time, when he looks at all of his creation, he saw that it was very good. It's his benediction, over his creation. So benediction is a good word, but probably more importantly, it is a good word from God. All the, all the way back in the beginning, God was speaking life out of nothingness. He was speaking light out of darkness. He was speaking order out of chaos. Good, good, very good. His good word over his creation. But then we actually see in Genesis 1, Two times, God sees that something's good, and then he blesses it. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He actually says that to fishes and things in the water. But then to humans, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion. Rule over. As my image bearers, rule over. He speaks a good word, but he shares himself. He shares his abundance, his rest, and his life with his creation. And so, so God delights in 
and devotes himself to abundance, rest, and life of his creation. It's the first good word we have in God's creation. And at our core, at our core, we long to hear benediction. We were created to hear benediction. We were created to hear that good word and the blessing of God. But it's not always so, right? I was talking to my wife. She uh, met with some people, some, some women, the other night, and they were talking about challenges in their life. And one of the women shared uh, something her mother said to her when she was 10 years old. She didn't say what that was, but it wasn't benediction. And benediction, if you think of blessing, the opposite of benediction is a malediction, a bad word, curse. Maybe it isn't benediction that echoes in the chambers of your heart like this young lady for decades. But, but at our heart, we long to hear benediction. We were created for that, to receive and live in God's benediction. And it's at the very heart of God, who God is for us. It's God's good word, literally, from first, Genesis 1, to last. If you turn over to Revelation 22, verse 21, the very last words of Scripture, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Benediction from beginning to end and all the way through. Perhaps the, the most well-known benediction or such blessing uh, is found in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. So if, if you would, turn to the book of Numbers. It's uh, the, in the five books of Moses. Okay, the first, the first five books in our Old Testament, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I have a little song for it, but I won't, so I'll spare you. So, so, so Numbers, one of the books of Moses to the people of Israel. Okay. I'm going to read this to you, and as I read, I want you to listen with the ears of your heart, and I want you to see God's commitment through his good word and for his good work to his people. Okay, number six, starting in verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, right? Three times. It's pretty clear that the priests are supposed to announce this blessing, but they're not the ones who are giving it, so to speak, right? It all comes from the Lord. It all comes from God. It's a good word from God. Bless you and keep you. Here's another word that gets thrown around and we don't define very well. Bless. What does it mean to bless someone? In its, in its most basic form, it means to gift, right? But it's so much more. Think about in the Old Testament, right? There be these scenes, particularly of the, of the patriarchs. You see this in, in Genesis. Of a, there's an old man, and he's got his children, and he's on his deathbed, and he gathers his children to him, to him and, and he's going to bless them, 
right? And he speaks blessing over them, but that's not all it, he, he does, right? He says words, but what else does he do? He issues his inheritance to them. He, he gives over everything he has. He's committed to their well-being. He might speak to their well-being, but he's committed to it well, so he gives over everything he has committed to their well-being. So in blessing, we see God devoting himself to you. Here's the interesting thing about numbers. Um, you shall bless the people of Israel. Thus you shall say to them, okay, plural, but the structure of this self, the Lord bless you, singular, the Lord keep you. God is, is devoting himself to you, singular, with a commitment to make it so. He shares his abundance, his rest, his life with you and with us, with them. But he's very personal. To bless and to keep, to keep, to, to protect, to surround, to, to promote that well-being. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. If I were to say to you, I lit his face up, you'd think I'd probably slap someone, right? Oh, I lit his face up. But if his face lit up, what does that mean to you? If somebody said, boy, his face lit up. Right? They were happy. They were smiling. They were beaming. They were radiant, right? And be gracious to you. Again, here's another one of those words we're so familiar with. It's so elusive. Grace. In a word, it means favor, right? It means that you get what you did not work for. You are given what you did not earn. Very related to blessing. You see that? Favor. God delights in being gracious. In fact, it, it's, uh, it's his middle name. Uh, you look over in Exodus, just a couple of, a couple of um, pages back. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Back in Exodus 34, verses 5 and 6. God is speaking to Moses, and God defines himself. Exodus 34, 5 and 6, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, Moses, there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's how God defines himself when he's given just a, a few words to do so. He's gracious, and he delights in being gracious. To lift up his face and give you peace. When, think, think about when you lift up your face to somebody or when you're faced with someone, you're facing someone, you know, it could, could be in the context, uh, you're speaking to somebody and they're distracted. It's like, hey, would you please look at me when I talk to you? Right? You, 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 you have their attention, right? You're in their presence, you have their presence, and you have their attention. And to give you peace, shalom, you probably know this, but it's so much more than the absence of conflict. You know, we tend to think, oh, there's peace, you know. Peace in the Middle East was a slogan back, you know, uh, in the 70s as I was a kid. It's still a slogan. You know, can there be peace in the Middle East? We think, oh, absence of conflict, uh, absence of war. No, it's so much more than that. It does mean that. 
But, but in Hebrew, the word shalom means completeness. It means satisfaction. It means fulfillment. It means flourishing. Everything you could hope. So, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but let me just stitch these thoughts together for you. May the Lord pour out on you all of his treasures of life, love, security, joy, delight, fullness, and guard you there. May the Lord be overjoyed in his extravagant and loving generosity to you. May the Lord be present and attentive for your complete and full satisfaction in life. Honest question. Is this how you imagine your heavenly Father looking on you? If you have trouble believing that, I want to console you. Uh, here's some relief. The Israelites probably had a hard time believing it too. Particularly the part about God's face shining on us. We'll just take that. Wait a minute. You're saying you want us to face God, God's face shine on us? Uh, just a little bit ago, um, we are told in Exodus 33 that no one may look upon my face and live. I mean, it's a terrifying prospect to be before the face of God. And the Israelites knew that. And I think all of us have some understanding of that. But why is that? Uh, do you remember as a kid, <laughs> go back, you remember the kid uh, when, you, uh, when you actually did do something wrong? I know they were few and far between, the times that you did something wrong. But do you remember doing something that you shouldn't have done and you got called out for it by maybe it was your mom or your dad or another adult, you know, Jimmy, where are you? You know, Susie. Number one objective, avoid that person at all contact, all, you know, all costs. But if you have to face them, what do you avoid? Avoid eye contact, right? You don't want to be in front of this person's face and staring them in the face. It's a terrifying prospect. Now, imagine the God of all creation he had come down onto the mountain in front of the people. You know what happens when God comes into contact with his fallen creation? I mean, mountains split asunder, things smolder, rocks melt. Do I want to face this? This has to speak with regard to who God is and who we are. As George prayed up here earlier, with regard to God's holiness he is holy, holy, holy. That means he is completely other and he is unique. He, he is not part of creation. He is the creator. And he is pure in his righteousness and his justice and his love and his mercy and his graciousness and his peace and his wrath. We, on the other hand, are not. We are not pure. We are impure. We are not righteous. We are tainted with unrighteousness, self-centeredness, all sorts of brokenness, sin, and rebellion. And again, it all goes back to the garden. All goes back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You see it there. God gave his benediction. God gave his blessing to his creation. Gave it to our, our 
parents, Adam and Eve, but we were not content with our place. We didn't just want to be in the image of God. We wanted to be God ourselves. And so we actually turned our faces from God and from his good word and his blessing and hid from his sight. And yet, here in Numbers 6, the people of God are called to live, another Latin phrase, coram Deo, before the face of God. How can we live out this benediction? How can we live out this good word? Let's look at where a benediction is, literally. In the midst of a gathering of God's people. I'm going to set the stage a little bit for you here. You have priests. Now, some of you know this. I'm just like, I'm just putting together Lego sets, you know, up here um, for my own benefit. Some of you know this. You're very familiar with this. Some of you might not be familiar with it, particularly if you're, if you're new or visiting. Maybe you, you, you've never heard these stories before. But here in the, in the Old Testament, God had, had delivered his people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. Okay, that's part of what you read as you read Genesis and Exodus. You see that, that people were created to live with God in, in, in Coram Deo before the face of God, in fellowship with God, enjoying that abundance and that rest and that life in the garden. But then they sinned. They rebelled against God. They sought to, to be God themselves. And they were kicked out of the garden, kicked out of God's presence, banished, as it were, into the outer realms, into the wilderness. So the story, the books of Moses, traced the people leaving the garden and becoming a family with Abraham, ending up in Egypt. And over hundreds of years, the Egyptians took the Israelite people and they turned them into slaves. And so they were in bondage. They were in slavery in Egypt. But then God comes and he delivers them from that. And he says, I'm going to take you out of bondage and slavery and I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to take you to the garden land. So here God is taking them through the desert, through the wilderness, to the garden, right? They left the garden, they were in bondage and slavery, and now God's going to take them back to the garden. And so he sets up for them as they travel a way they should live and relate to him. He gave priests to the people. Aaron and the tribe of, of Levi were to attend to things as priests. They stood before the people giving this benediction. They're the ones, Aaron and the priests, were the ones who would give a benediction. And they were appointed by God to represent God to the people and represent the people to God. They were the go-between. And they served at the tabernacle. Okay, so in the wilderness you have a tabernacle. It was a giant tent. And the tent was created, there was an, an outer court where, where people could mingle and there were so, all sorts of activities going on in the outer court, but then, then there was the, the inner tent itself, the holy place, and even inside that tent, there was this place called the Holy of Holies where the throne room of God, think about it that way. And what's interesting is the tabernacle and, and everything was, was illustrated, if you will, the tapestries and, and, the, and the hammered items, it was, it was a replica of the garden. 
all the items that were represented, it was, it was like a garden in the wilderness. It was a garden on the go. It was a mobile garden. And here is where God dwelled. And he, the tent was among the people. And I'm going to lead you to the Garden of Canaan, a land flowing of milk and honey. So you have the tabernacle, God's, God's dwelling on earth, his throne room. Again, a link between heaven and earth. And the priest, the high priest in particular, had this elaborate, beautiful garments that were made. Uh, just blue and gold and scarlet and purple yarn. Uh, the, the things that he wore. Uh, it, he had these shoulder pads. Okay, they made these shoulder pads. And, and there was a stone on this side and a stone on this side. That, and and in, in, engraved on the stones, six names of the tribes of Israel and over here, the other six names of the tribes of Israel. So he had these shoulder pads with the names of the people on his shoulders. And then he had this, this box kind of thing over his chest, the breast piece it was called. And there were 12 precious stones. And each stone was carved individually with one of the tribes of Israel. So he had, he had the weight of the tribes on his shoulder, and he had the tribes over his heart. And so they would carry the tribes on their shoulder and over their heart as they went in before God and represented the people to God, and then they'd come out and they'd speak to the people for God. And what were they doing as they entered into the tabernacle, into the tent, into the holy place? They were offering prayers, confessions, cleansings, offerings, sacrifices, sacrifices for guilt, for sin. Symbolic payment, a ransom. What, what a sacrifice says, you bring a lamb, you bring a goat, you bring a bull, you bring a pigeon, and what you're basically saying is, I know that my rebellion and my sin requires payment, and that payment is life. And here is my substitute. But here's the problem. It was just symbolic. They had to do this day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, that the priest would make these sacrifices for the people. And yet, and yet, they would gather, and, and, and they were all there, and before they dispersed and went back to their tent, the priest would stand up and he'd say, the Lord bless you and keep you. He would give benediction because God had provided a way for that benediction to be spoken. God had provided a way that he could say, I bless you and I will keep you. My face shines upon you and I will be gracious to you. You'll be in my presence and I will be your peace. And you fast forward to, to 1 Timothy here where we are. 1,500 years to 1 Timothy from Numbers. And at the end of the letter, grace be with you. Well, what's come before in 1 Timothy? The gospel according to Paul in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners whom I am the foremost. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. 1 Timothy 4, verse 10. 
For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And so Paul can write at the end of such a letter, at the end of such pronouncements, grace be with you. A good word, grace be with you, comes to us because of an offering, because of a sacrifice. But not the day-by-day, week-by-week, month-by-month, year-by-year sacrifices that were offered back in numbers, but by one sacrifice once and for all, that of Jesus. Hebrews 10 tells us, but in these sacrifices, meaning those like back in numbers, in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus, again, Hebrews calls him our high priest. Jesus, our high priest, who stands between God and his people. Jesus, our high priest, who bears the weight of our sin, our names on his shoulder. Jesus, our high priest, who carries our name over his heart. Our rebellion demanded death. He became our substitute, our ransom. Jesus took on the curse, the malediction, so that we could have the blessing, the benediction, the good word from God. It's Jesus that allows us to live out this benediction. The amazing riches of God's grace to us in Christ. That's why sometimes at the end of a service, whoever gives the benediction, you'll hear them giving the benediction. Maybe you see around you, maybe there are people who have their hands out and up. Why is that? Symbolic. Because of the weight and the overwhelming burden of the blessing that we receive in Jesus. Immeasurable, infinite, as if two hands could hold it up. And it's Jesus that allows us to live coram Deo before the face of God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We can look God full on the face when we understand and know who Jesus is, who he really is. We're looking into the face of God. There's one more curious thing about number six in the passage there I want to talk with you about. And it happens after the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they, the priests, put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. What does that mean? Have God's name put upon us. There's one other piece of the priest's outfit that we didn't talk about. You see it in Exodus 28, Exodus 39. He, had, he, he would have a turban on, just a headdress. 
and there was a gold plate like a crown that he would wear across his forehead, the high priest, when he was, when he was going in and out making offerings. And on that, that plate that, that covered his forehead, it said, Holy to the Lord. He was named. And then here, the named priest is coming before the people, and he is putting the name of the Lord on them. Listen, in benediction, God puts his name on us, that we would be name bearers. Yes, image bearers, all, everyone who's ever been created, everyone who has ever lived, past, present, future, is created and bears the image of God. But there are those who are in covenant with him, who are in relationship with him. And they are name bearers. What does it mean to put your name on something? You know, okay, parents, when you send your kids to camp, uh, uh, here's their name. I'm going to write it in their shirt. I'm going to write it in their backpack. I'm going to write it on each individual sock in the back of their underwear, right? It means you belong to someone, right? It's got your name on it. But think about in the context of sports. What's on the back of a jersey, right? There's the name for everyone to see, right? There's my girl. She's a Switzer, right? There's, there's my boy. He's a Parker. The name is there for everyone to see, and we are name bearers of God. So, so in Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus, scriptures say that we are adopted into God's family. Sons and daughters were brought into God's family. It's just like adoption, when it's made legal, right? You get a name change. It's official. It's your identity. That's who you are. And in benediction, God puts his name on us. Those who, who have placed their faith in him through Christ. Think of the implications of this. This is why in baptism, we are baptized, for those who, who have placed their faith in Jesus, um, this is kind of like the official adop adoption ceremony, the legal ceremony. You're baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? What are the implications when we pray? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Through me, your name that has been reviled through the world, not just by the world, but it's become a laughingstock perhaps because of some of your own people. That's what happened with Israel. You read on in this story, and guess what? They were taken into exile because the name of God had been profaned among the nations because of the people of Israel. But Lord, may your name be seen as holy through me, your name bearer. The benediction is a reminder of, of who we are. It's a reminder of whose we are. This is a, this wonderful passage that Peter writes. In 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you, 
You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see? Do you see God's pleasure in you? Do you see God's love for you because of Jesus and what he has done? The good word and the good work that he has committed himself to in and through your life because of Jesus. And do you see in this that benediction is not an ending? Yes, it is said at the close of our service, but it's not an ending so much as it is ascending. It's a going out in the name. It's a bearing his name. We are a royal priesthood, holy to the Lord. And so the priest would come out from the presence of God and he'd come to the people and he'd pronounce benediction to them. And on his name was holy to the Lord. And here the people are receiving the benediction and the Lord says, and so I shall place my name on them. And now they are holy to the Lord. And then they turn and they go out and what are they doing? Everyone they come into contact with, Israelite or not, a believer in Jesus or not, we are then to pronounce benediction to. We are pronounced the good word of God to. We are the bearers of the name and we're the carriers of that benediction. Consider the power of a good word. We're told in Scripture that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who perse persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. We bear the name as we go. So that, so that, as George read in the very beginning in Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, lifted right from number six, lifted right from that benediction, so that your way, God, your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations, that the grace and peace of Jesus would be known and displayed to all, that all may know. We went to a, a wedding a couple weeks ago up in Virginia, and we were about to hit the highway, and we needed to stop and get some coffee, and the girls did some research. Here's one here. We found this little coffee shop in this strip mall just outside of D.C. before we hit the road, and one of my daughters and I, we walked in. As we're walking in to the coffee shop, they have one of these sandwich board things out front, you know, just outside the front door, and it kind of tells what their special is, you know, this or that and the other, so you're kind of looking at it as you go in, and you go in the door, and we ordered, and we waited, got our coffee. It was good coffee. And we're going out the front door again, and there's that sandwich board. But you see the back of it. And as you go out on the back of that sandwich board, it said, you are loved. Stop me in my tracks. It's about to get on the interstate for a 12-hour drive. 
you are loved. Good coffee and a good word to send me on my way. Church, you are a royal priesthood. You bear the name of God and you carry his good word, the good word of Jesus, the gospel with you. Let's go in that glorious name and with that good word so all may know. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your love and your grace to us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for calling us as your own, making us your family, and empowering us with your good word, with your blessing and benediction to bear your name to all people, to pronounce the gospel, to pronounce Jesus to all people, that the nations would know and you would be praised. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.